Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is April Edwards. April is a senior cloud advocate for Microsoft, specializing in application transformation and DevOps ways of working. Her focus is working on Microsoft Azure to take customers on a journey from legacy technology while enabling them to take full advantage of DevOps. Welcome, April. Thank you, Clayton. And John and John? Yeah, so uh, before we kind of jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself, you know, tell them how you got started in the industry? Sure. So um, I got started when I was probably about 15 years old. I got offered to take an A-plus certification course in high school, and my high school specialized in computer arts and sciences. And my dad was like, what are they doing this course? And they're like, oh, they build computers. And he's like, yeah, my daughter doesn't do that. She does other things, you know. Um, so I got really bored of computer class the first year in high school. And I got in trouble for cutting class because their teachers had to type and like play with Microsoft Paint. And I'm like, well, that's that's cute. But I've done other things with computers. So they put me in the A-plus class the next year and I excelled. Uh, I went in to do kind of my MCSE or what was the MCSE at the time. And then I went in to go to college. And for me, when I went to college, I was like, I'm going to go be a doctor. I'm going to go do things. I didn't see a career in tech for myself. I did quite a bit in terms of, you know, a little bit of development with like visual basic, uh, some graphic design stuff in high school, some, some apprenticeships. And then when I was in school, I needed a job. Like I had no money as we all do in school. So I got a job on the geek squad and not many people know that. Uh, working at Best Buy. And they're like, wow, you're really qualified in computers. I was like, yes, I need a job. Please hire me, whatever this will take. Um, and then I was continuing on the med school path and I moved to Boston, Massachusetts, again, needed a job. And I was fresh out of school and got hired in at Tufts University. And I loved it. And I got to a point in my early 20s where I kind of paid off all my debt and was like, you know, life is really good. I'm loving tech and I'm learning and med school's expensive. So I stayed in the tech path and my career just kind of took off. Um, you know, I lived in Boston, Massachusetts. I worked for different companies there. Then I moved up to Colorado. Then I moved to the UK. And it's kind of snowballed into me now working at Microsoft, embracing the cloud, because I fell in love with Azure about seven, eight years ago and kind of never looked back. Yeah. So uh, that kind of brings us to what 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 is uh, what are you working on these days? What What's sort of like your day to day? I don't have a day-to-day as such, but in advocacy, we're here to help kind of drive content for, for the community. So I do a lot of work with DevOps. So I might speak to customers about DevOps. Um, I'm actually this week writing some content for GitHub uh, and some kind of a GitHub learning path. So that content will get shared out amongst the world. Um, I also uh, kind of run the DevOps lab on Microsoft Channel 9. So I also publish on DevBlog. So when I release an episode, I write a blog for it. And I do try to write blogs on it, whether it's a developer best practice or stuff we see that customers are doing or addresses a technical issue. So the blogging content creation um, is kind of a big part of my role day to day. I think that's where I caught your name and caught a, a blog post of yours out on Twitter announcing a, a post on developer best practices. 
And those are the types of things that I really enjoy because I, I want to see how how folks are doing things. How how are you accomplishing your day-to-day tasks? And what are the the pitfalls and things that we should avoid? And the day-to-day tasks are the things that trip us up. And I was, and this actually, that that article came out of a real life experience. And most of my blogs are like, this tripped me up. How did I fix it? Um, and that blog came out of the fact that I was creating, I was actually writing content for Microsoft Docs. And Microsoft really tries to make Docs um, much better than it was. We try to document everything, but we can't document everything. And I was doing the Docs and actually someone opened up a GitHub issue against Docs and said, you have potentially missed something. And I'm like, oh, that that's a great point. Okay, I didn't catch it. And when we write content... I think we forget about those things because sometimes we try to keep things simple for people, but we forget about what are the best practices we need to instill in the community because someone's watching that and going, oh, I'll just do it this way. And I, and again, I had a, a developer ping me. Uh, he didn't understand the main branch in, in my code. And I said, well, we used to call main master, but it should be really a feature branch or a PR branch. And I had to explain that. And he actually got quite upset that I wasn't using the master branch. I'm like, but we shouldn't be pushing the code to master. Um, So again, those are, those are best practices that we don't always catch, but trip us out a lot, right. In the industry. And, and those are good things that we could take and they make us better developers going in every day. I think uh, best practices are probably one of the hardest things to, uh, to keep up with or get introduced to as a, as a new developer or a learning developer, because everything is demo code. Everything is a just a simple demo and the best practices are rarely followed in the demos. They're the hardest thing to learn. And you're right. And actually I addressed it tonight with a colleague. Uh, we were reviewing some content for this GitHub learning path. And last week when I was writing you know, my demo out and I'm testing my code, I went, hold on, this is missing some critical stuff. And my colleague went, actually you missed this over here. And I'm like, I clocked it after the fact, but not the time when I wrote the demo because you try to keep it simple and repeatable for someone, but then you forget, actually, I've let something slip. Um, and, and, and coming from the engineering side of Microsoft, we were built with code with customers. We were brought in to unblock a customer into the cloud and we had to use best practices because it's, it's a major customer's production infrastructure or what's gonna be production code. You have to make sure you do all the right things and you have to do things early and often. Yeah, I, I find myself, so if, I, if I'm writing a blog post or, or doing a demo, I'll find myself, I'll stop and I'll be like, oh, but I should, I should really tell them to do this. Oh, but then I have to explain that. And then I have to explain that. And then I have to explain that. It's probably a bit easier and nicer with, the, with Microsoft Docs because you can point somebody to a reference, hopefully. But when you're working on the, on the docs or working on your blog posts or working on other things, is that something you run into as well, where you have to like, you know, but first you need this foundation. All the time. And I think it's, it's an interesting topic. I had someone once say to me, you need to go deeper on this topic or, you know, develop deeper content. Yes. But we have to talk about the high level stuff for a reason. Like we have to build a house, right? And if we're going to build our house on sand or like the three little pigs, right? If we're going to build our house out of straw, it's going to fall apart and the wolf's going to blow it down. And that wolf could be anything, you know, hackers, whatever. It could be a security breach, could be, you know, if we build poor infrastructure, 
it's going to fall over. And and I agree, we need to go in deeper content. And actually, one of the things I've been doing with the DevOps Lab is we've been doing a series. So starting high level with the first episode and saying, right, this is this technology, it's called X. And then the next episodes are there to go deeper into the subject matter because we want to appeal to everyone and you need that foundation, right? You need that learning. And I've done a few series like that where it's been really beneficial. And I, I forget, like we all forget, like, well, I learned that a while ago, but someone else is still learning it. So it's so critical to get the foundations out there and then build on it. And and that's why I'm trying to get content out to the community that hopefully does that as the best way I can. Um, because we need the foundations and everyone started from somewhere at some point in time. Like we didn't just wake up and go, oh yeah, I wrote that app and go, you know, day one. No, we had to learn the principles and the foundations and, and all sorts of things to get to that app. We couldn't just go write an app. You want to build a house, but first you have to learn how to mine the ore for the nails. <laughs> yeah. Could we, uh, kind of, uh, focus a little bit in and on just for a moment, what that DevOps DevOps labs that you do, what who they're sort of targeting, and then talk a little bit more about the series that you're doing right now. Yeah, so the DevOps lab was um, owned by a couple of my colleagues, uh, one of which who's recently passed away, Abel Wang. Um, and there are some, I, you know, I feel such an honor to take on the DevOps lab. I was I was a guest on the show just over two years ago, doing my first episode. Now I'm hosting and it's, it is the utmost privilege. So when we started this, what we call a season, so July 1st is kind of the beginning of the Microsoft financial year, we had to revamp it. So I'm taking ownership of it. I, I actually first went out to the community and said, what do you, what, what does everyone want to say? What kind of content? And some people were like, I didn't know the DevOps lab existed. People are like, oh, I want to see stuff with bicep or I want deeper technical stuff. And I got all that feedback and collated it and said, right, how do we make a really good show? So um, really want to do things that are, when it's DevOps focused, it should be everyone. DevOps should be in all the technology. And we talk about DevOps being, you know, about the people, the process and the technologies. So I want the DevOps lab to focus on that. Not just how do I do something in Azure boards with Azure DevOps or not just how I do some of the GitHub actions, but how, why we're doing it. Like what's the benefit to the organization or the business or to me as developer, or even someone who's in ops and doing stuff with infrastructure as code. Um, so the current series that has gotten released this week is about NoobsGen and NoobsGen.com. And it's a it's a project that came out of Microsoft to get you started on uh, creating Terraform templates. So I do a lot with Terraform and infrastructure as code. I'm a massive proponent of it. Now, the reason why I fell in love with Terraform was because it was easy for me. Um, but ARM templates are, you know, for Azure specific, for me, they were hard to learn. They were a pain in the butt. And I got really fed up with them. So I really fell in love with Terraform. So the, the people that devised NoobsGen were like, well, people need to get started with Terraform. Where do you start? There are starter, ta- starter templates out there, but you got to put them together. They don't work. You got to understand the syntax. You literally go out and fill out a simple form, tick some boxes, and you have a working Terraform template with best practices in it. So I've been helped contributing to the pro- project as well to say to the guys, Right. Well, we need security. Like we have to have security because if we're a DevOps first organization, we need security in our code. And developers hate talking about code, but we need it. We need security. Um, so they've they've made it so that you can generate a template really easily. And the project's growing. So the project's effectively fairly new in its infancy. Um, you can also generate bicep templates with it. Um, so that's a cool project. I'm recording another series next week on um, DevOps loves identity. And that's for everyone. 
Uh, but it's going to talk about identity and securing your code and ways to secure your practices, your pipelines, all that good stuff. So there's going to be some really cool stuff coming down the coming down the uh, the throughput of the DevOps lab. And it seems like more and more the lines of demarcation are, are becoming blurred. It's, it seems like developers need to know how our code runs on in a production like environment, how it gets deployed. Uh, operations needs needs to know more about the day-to-day workings of the applications that they may be supporting on their infrastructure, whether that's on-prem or in the cloud, and and really becoming that merged, that that DevOps culture. So when we're talking about developer best practices, it's no longer that uh, we, we need to be concerned with C-sharp and the inner workings of the language, but we also need to, like you said, be aware of and be concerned with security and deployments and infrastructure and running in the cloud. Uh, I've got a friend that is on the ops side of the house and he's studying for cloud certifications and all that that entails. And he's coming at it from the operations side and really finding it daunting about all of the development pieces involved with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you, you know, Microsoft, we really strive in our engineering side to have what we call vertical developers. So if you think of yourself, you know, some people are like, well, I do data or I do the UI or I focus on this thing. And when we start talking about the DevOps story and and like what DevOps really means, it means not throwing something over the fence. Yeah, it's that person's problem. It's ops problems now. Like it's it's infrastructure, don't care. And, And having come from like a managed service provider where, you know, prior to joining Microsoft, you're, you're managing someone else's infrastructure. There's always a blame game because you have multiple vendors involved. Right. And that's frustrating. And when you work in any internal kind of it environment, your code doesn't work and the infrastructure team get frustrated and they just, they, people blame each other. So Microsoft really has strived to have vertical developers. So you care about the whole stack and that's important because whatever code you write, you need to know how that affects something. Well, I wrote code. Well, my CPU has gone off the chart because my code's hammering my server. Why? Well, we need to know about that. Um, we need to know about the data side. How's affect our data? You know, I've written code and it's 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 storing a bunch of files, and all of a sudden we've ran out of storage on Azure. And then you have the operational side that has to learn these new things. And and DevOps is probably the hardest for ops people because they're learning new tools that aren't inherent in their day to day job. Like why Git? Why source control? Um, and I'm actually writing a series called Git for Ops. Folk, and I don't have a title. That's just what I'm calling it because I need some really smart person to find a good title for me. But ops people struggle with adopting these things that aren't their day-to-day job. And and you're right, your friend that's an ops, like there's a lot to learn. And okay, I can automate things, but holy crap, that's opened up Pandora's box, right? So it it never we with the cloud coming in, like there's so much that people can do and they can broaden their career scope, but it's scary all at the same time. Yeah, and having uh, recently moved from being focused on DevOps to more of a developer that's that can help with DevOps or, or uh, handle that on the team, uh, I was working really side by side with a lot of people that were ops that were trying to like sort of fit in that, and it it is staggering to me the amount of developer practices or practices that are akin to developer best practices that no one considered or no one knew about, but because I had a developer background, I could bring that to the team, to that ops team. Um, So I think that's great work. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's good. It speaks a lot of you, John, to be able to go into a team and bring that knowledge. And and that's important. And to be in a team that accepts the knowledge. That's the other side of DevOps is, is the, the people change. And I've sat in front of customers and you're like, yeah, we have this cool thing called Azure. And they're like, yeah, but I'm going to be out of job. And I'm like, well, you're not going to be out of job. But it's that absolute panic. And if you can be have that open mentality, that growth mindset that, you know, we talk about growth mindset at Microsoft, always learning, right? You know, we, we've got to be open to new opportunities. And, and it's hard for ops people because they're like, why well, push buttons and make things do things? Um, yeah, but you can automate things. And instead of like being reactive, you can be proactive and it scares them and it's hard. And there's so much to learn. And I, I empathize because I have an ops background and I moved into development. So being on teams that embrace that change and are open to it is awesome. The moment you get people on board with automation, though, now you have code and now you have management of code and now you have maintaining code and, and most people that, that don't have any of that background. So uh, it's definitely an uphill battle. Security is obviously a huge thing that we need to be, um, you know, focusing on. What, what are some of the things that that you see uh, are ways where we can sort of uh, get get going and sort of get that security is like right from the get go? The security story starts as soon as you clone your code to your laptop, flat out, like you're cloning code, what's in the code. Um, so, you know, first thing you look at is what is your development environment like? And I've worked with customers that the security team comes in and locks down all the, the, the IT teams, you know, developers, ops, and say, can't do anything. You don't have admin access on your machine. You can't use these tools because they're not secure. They're not enterprise level. And you literally have your hands tied. So that's, that is a problem because there is a way to secure an environment so that your developers can work. So I think this is where we talk about a, the trust model in an organization, which is a whole other kettle of fish, but then you also have the tooling model. So, you know, it, it, it goes to using tools that help you. So for instance, I was sitting with a customer, big customer, they weren't allowed to use visual studio code. They had to use notepad plus plus. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, what year is it? <laughs> and I remember sitting in the room with one of the developers and he must have spent, let's say two hours trying to find a single piece of code. And I'm like, yeah, I found it here. He's like, what, well, how, how'd you do that? I'm like, I have a, I have an extension visual studio code that is for this type of code that finds the, and he was like, oh, and you just heard him like <laughs> cry and die on the inside because they're not allowed VS code. So we ended up, um, probably shouldn't talk about this out loud, bypassing some of the firewall securities with VS Code so the developers could use it. Now, were we doing something insecure? Okay, that's up for debate. But then there's things like GitHub code spaces where you can create a secure environment, secure, secure the control the control the security around it, and you can have a identical environment for all your developers. And, and that takes away the, the laptop or the desktop situation. What if your laptop gets stolen or you leave it open? You develop in GitHub code spaces. Plus there's a ton of other benefits about like running with dev containers. So all your devs and even your ops folk writing code are in the same development environment. There's so many benefits to that. And that's where the tooling side of it is massive. So not not to necessarily, you know, bring more controversial things to, to light here, but have you had any experience dealing with the cloud proxy Solution. There's a number of them out there, but uh, this is the number one pet peeve that I am currently running into. Uh, and I, again, want to be secure, but the the notion that we should be taking all of our traffic, putting a break 
a breaking SSL and sending that to a third party, to someone else, um, to, so that they can secure the traffic coming out of a corporate space, I, I think is probably going to be the one of the worst decisions that corporate security has made uh, once one of those things go down and everyone can see all of the SSL traffic in the clear and that gets hacked. That's probably going to become a bad thing. But in the meantime, like right now, working from a developer, working around that, you can't necessarily get to NuGet directly because, you know, all of a sudden pulling down NuGet packages, you know, they need to be signed by the SSL cert and um, you, you're signing with a different SSL cert. And so like ver- verifying and validating that the packages that you're pulling down are, are proper. Uh, I don't know. What, what Do you have any thoughts uh, around that side of, of the house or does that something you haven't really run into too much? I've dealt with it. And it's, it's such a difficult conversation for an organization because there, there's also an argument about using open source projects and why we use them, right? We, again, this Microsoft talks about running on trust and enabling your developers. They call it developer velocity. That's how they brand it. <laughs> Forget the name for a minute. Like developers need to be able to do their thing because developers are creative, awesome people. And, and we need to trust our employees to do cool stuff, right? It's then, if we start limiting people, it takes away that trust element. But then if actually like, well, we need to get some legit stuff. It's always a process where the organization goes, we need to review this. And it takes like four months or six months. And that's a lot where I've seen it where we're like, well, we need access to this or we need this thing for this reason. And they're like, no, we can't do that because it's not secure. Well, why is it not secure? And sometimes because things are new, it scares people. And, <laughs> you know, again, we take so many different approaches to this at Microsoft. So, I mean, I've taken customers to our data center for a data center tour. So and they're like, well, our data center is more secure. And I'm like, okay, let's go into your data center. And they literally <laughs> will let me in their data center. When they come to a Microsoft data center, you're not allowed to just walk into the data center. We have <laughs> massive amounts of security and like you have to empty your pockets, your weighed going into the data center, your weighed coming out and your timestamp, like, and there's, there's cameras everywhere. Like you can't even wear a belt in the data center, which I didn't know. And I am an employee and I almost lost my pants in a data center because <laughs> I didn't know you had to wear, you couldn't wear a belt. So that was my faux pas. Cause I had always been in so many data centers, right? Never an issue, but it's always the conversations like that. And then when customers are like, well, we must secure it in this thing. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about security in your environment. How is your environment more secure? Um, and, and when customers just willy, willingly let you into their data center, you're like, well, you just let me walk through your doors. And and I could, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here in the UK. I have an American passport. I could be doing espionage. I don't know. But I also have a British passport, but they don't know what my security background is. No one asked what my security background is. So they've let me in. I could plug something into a server rack. Um, then you have the other thing of like, well, I want to access some open source projects. We, we start stifling our developers. We start stifling where we get th- th- things from. And it's that we've always done it this way. We don't want to do this thing. It's not secure. And the whole vetting process can be super painful. So it could be from the physical security aspect to the like just getting a download a package, right? Um, I think GitHub is honestly trying to address a lot of that with GitHub packages. So you can secure your own packages um, and they have AI built into a lot of the tooling to say you have a password exposed and they raise it to the admin or this package has an issue. And we have so much tooling out there to help us. And that's then saying to the security team, but we we can do more. Let, let me show you how. And you need that willingness in an organization to be open to the different tooling that's out there. 
oftentimes I see that you know a lot of companies say, well, we're we're looking, we're scanning our our packages, we're scan, scanning our software for security vulnerabilities. I'm like, okay, we're all, are we also looking at static code analysis on quality and and maintainability? But oh no no, because that's that's arbitrary and and and, and difficult to to specify. So we're, we're just specifically looking for security vulnerabilities. I'm like. And so many organizations get hung up on one thing and not like all of it, right? So um, I do a lot, a lot of work with customers where we're deploying stuff with CI, CD. That's a great opportunity to say, well, we've ran a security scan here. We've looked at quote, code quality over here and we hit the touch points instead of getting hung up on that one thing that's like, but we do one thing and that means it's secure. And it's, it's mind blowing when you hear what customers think is secure a lot. Um but you're like, well, here's a hole. And you really need an <laughs> auditor to go in and someone who's really sharp to say, actually, I just got in, here's here's your back door, here's the hole, this is how we need to fix it. Um, you really need someone with kind of, you know, the the goal to say, this is wrong and, and to show them why. But again, it's also, are we doing things by hand? Having done this long enough and, and seen every which way we can, we can get code into production, whether that's just brute force and, and all-nighters waiting until somebody pushes the correct series of buttons, picking up uh, early versions of TFS and, and Azure DevOps and the the GUI pipelines and now into YAML, and also having spent the last month in YAML pipelines and, and staring at YAML day in and day out. Is there a better story for... YAML pipelines coming along, management, uh, tooling. Is YAML the path forward? Are Azure pipelines the path forward? Are GitHub actions coming to fill in missing pieces and gaps there? Or, or what What does the future hold for automation and pipelines? That's a, that's a good one. There's a lot of questions in that one. There's a lot of ways to answer that. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to address the YAML thing first. YAML, I mean, we, we talk about doing things in a very declarative way and everything in tech becomes full circle. Like, you know, I'm going to use the example of DOS. I grew up in a time when everything was in DOS. You you had to type something in. Then this pointy clicky thing came out and that was <laughs> cool and pretty. And, and now we're back to like doing things with automation. And I'm a big PowerShell fan and I like doing stuff via the CLI. And I'm actually, I was working with someone one day and they're like, oh, use GitHub desktop, desktop to, to, you know, instead of using Git and CLI. And I'm like, I actually don't know how to use GitHub desktop. I always use the CLI. So we get comfortable in one way. And I think the when we start talking about like Azure DevOps and the pipeline story with Azure Pipelines, um, and I'm sorry, I did not create the branding names, so the branding <laughs> names get super confusing, but Azure Pipelines came out the classic editor. It was easy to consume, easy to use, and now we've moved to YAML, and we're telling the story in a declarative language. We can do a lot more with YAML, um, and that's why it's cool, and that's why people like it. But YAML is really frustrating because... I posted a thing on Twitter the other day where like my Git commit was missed another space. Like, and, and yes, I have a YAML extension in, in VS code. I just, I was tired. I was cranky and life happens. Right. So yeah, I think, I think I've had like back to back three of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and someone was like, someone on Twitter's like, but, but there's a, there's a VS code extension. I'm like, yeah, I have that. I was just tired and I was cranky and I needed more caffeine and, just, just let me have this. Let, let me, let me complain about this one, right? Give me this one. It all happens, right? Um, and I think so. I think YAML's become the declarative thing. And when you then go to GitHub Actions, it's all in YAML. So Azure Pipelines is very much in YAML. So then going and talking about the two different products, 
Um, so Azure DevOps as a product, and if anyone's listening and doesn't really know Azure DevOps, it enables you to deploy to any cloud with any language. And it uses kind of these five different components, um, you know, planning tools and Azure boards, and we'll just talk about Azure pipelines. And that's our CICD mechanism. But Azure pipelines and Azure DevOps is a massively like mature product, right? And it's awesome. I love it. GitHub and GitHub Actions are the new shiny kid on the block. So in terms of feature parity, they're trying to build up GitHub Actions to Azure pipelines. But GitHub Actions are more than just CICD. So when they initiated GitHub Actions, they didn't just want to do CICD like pipelines. They wanted to be able to automate anything straight out of a repo, mm. right? Mm. And 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 we know there's over 50 million developers consuming in GitHub. So that's, that's an easy win. Um, so they are bringing feature parity to GitHub and GitHub Actions. But Azure DevOps is a massively mature product. And there's things that we may not see in GitHub Actions, um, things like Azure Boards, et cetera. But new ways of doing things are coming, but they're not going to be the same. Um, there's definitely a discussion around feature parity. So we're back into YAML life. So people that have invested to Azure DevOps and classic pipelines, it's still supported, but really YAML's kind of on par with what GitHub does. So, and we've moved back to that declarative thing. So there is a way to get started. You know, we have lots of repositories and, and great quick starts, but it, we're back to this declarative thing. And we're back to typing in and being able to template things and that's going forward. So the, the whole path and the product has developed over time and, and there's massive investments in both areas. And when, um, and I'll give an example of Azure static web apps got released back in March this year, people had a massive demand for the ability in Azure DevOps pipelines and they did it. They're like, it's not a massively mature thing, but we're supporting it and they're still building support for it. So there's still support on both sides of the fence, but I mean, GitHub is the new shiny kid on the block. Yeah, and actually I did tweet out uh, my frustration with YAML uh, a week or two ago while I was spending a lot of time in in that. And uh, uh, one of my followers, one of my friends, uh, one of my coworkers actually uh, tweeted out a reply response that there is an awesome YAML repo in GitHub filled with tools to make dealing with and working with YAML um, much, much more friendly, much more uh, approachable. Yeah, I think I think there just comes a point in my night where I lose the plot. Like I literally <laughs> just have had enough. I'm I can't see straight, and I'm just frustrated. And I do stupid stuff. But again, this is why we automate things. And there's always that kind of joke. Like we spend two hours automating something that takes ten seconds to do, um, but then we prevent issues. But yeah, I think YAML YAML is interesting. It's um yet another markup language, right? And there's a lot of debate about it. And you could absolutely start a war over over people's opinions of YAML. Yeah, I, I want, um, I don't know, I want the plain or the common to be simple and easy. And then when you have something that goes beyond what is common, then okay. So like, a wizard or or a UI that just says, hey, do you have a .NET Core app that needs to be published to a web service? Here, you know, ta-da, it's done for you. Have a nice day. But then, you know, when you when you need to dig in and do something more custom, then okay, fine, I get it. I'm I'm breaking the norm. I need to go down into the YAML and do a thing. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Like with Kubernetes, like I just I just want to run an app and I want to have it scale up to 10 and and that's it. Nope. I think I think it's coming. I think that Microsoft is making waves in that and it's they're they're starting to address that. So, and I use Azure Static Web Apps as an example because they wanted to create a product that out of the box did a thing that 
answered a lot of questions for people, and it was an easy way to publish an app or a static um, a static web app. And when they deployed the product, they made sure that out of the box in the portal, you could set up your Azure static web app and go to your repo with your code, click on the repo, and it automatically produces the pipeline for you. So with GitHub Actions, it automatically creates the action and deploys your deploys your code. So you've you've stood up that Azure Static Web App. It gives you that pipeline. It even builds in a test for you, which is super cool. And then it does some other cool things by when you open a PR, it opens up a staging slot for you. So it gets those best practices out the door from day one. We're going to see a lot more of that because that is the integration of, okay, it's Azure and you want to set up something, but it needs to be easy to get it set up into the process of development or operational folks to say, we have a process now because you start from ground zero and Kubernetes is a great example. Kubernetes takes a lot of patience to learn. And once you get it, you get it. But I think it's interesting because you see developers struggle with certain part of Kubernetes, like the networking component, and you see ops people struggle with just the the commands and like, what is this repository and why am I calling this image and how does Docker work? Whereas developers are like, I don't understand this ingress egress thing. I don't understand the networky <laughs> thing. Um, so I think each party has different things that they struggle with, but to have that service out of the box so that you have a a whole process end to end built that you can start from is also, and that's why I promote Azure static web apps a lot um, on the DevOps side, because it, it is out of the box, easy to go. It will happen. It's coming. Um, they're going to be a lot better with it for more products in the future. That That's my two cents on it. I'm not on the product teams, but it's a lot of stuff I've seen what, what customers are asking for. Yeah, I've got a, a public project that I use for a lot of my demo purposes and training and, and introducing new different methodologies and, and pieces to others. So uh, I've had an opportunity to play with a lot of these pieces, uh, not all of them for sure, but I, I do think that the story is getting better and better. I, I wonder, is is there anything else that we missed that you wanted to be sure to to cover or just introduce folks to or uh, let people know what is out there or, or what is coming? Yeah, so I think what is coming, I think GitHub Universe is coming out in October, I believe. I don't remember the date. I Everything's kind of a blur these days. There's going to be some new cool stuff in GitHub coming out. Um, people always ask, like, how do I get started? Where do I learn? Um, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit shameless here and promote the DevOps Lab for DevOps stuff. Lots of cool content. We have dev blogs. But realistically, bigger things like Microsoft Docs has gotten so much better. Um, and when I say to people, go to docs, have a look, see if it's documented. If it's not, open up an issue because the people that write the docs are responsible for updating the docs. So I wrote some of the docs for static web apps. I'm still responsible for the comments that come through. So I tell people to contribute. Uh, go to azure.feedback.com, contribute. Um, and then some good free learning resources are Microsoft Learn. Um, hands down the best. You go in, you choose a learning path. And you can stand up a sandbox and build something. When when I started working on Azure, it's like I might get an MSDN credit or I might not, and I'd put down a credit card. Uh, things like Microsoft Learn are fantastic to just get started learning. Um, and there's some great um, there's some great repositories in, on GitHub for Microsoft. So we've open sourced a lot of things like Bicep templates, um, Terraform templates. Things to get started. We've we've open sourced a lot of stuff, which I think is much different than the Microsoft of twenty years ago. So it's great to see that stuff out in the community for people to consume. Yeah, thank you. We'll uh, make sure to have all those added to our show notes for anybody who wants to check any of that out. 
Um, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those maybe looking to level up their own careers? I think for me, it's been willingness to learn and also admit when you don't know something. Tech, there's a lot to know out there and you, you're you not going to know everything. Uh, pick what interests you, have the passion for it and go with it. Like no matter what you do in life, you got to love what you do. Um, and I always like to say fail fast. Uh, it's a DevOps phrase, but it works. You know, try something out. You don't like it. You move on. You, and it, and it's not quite failure. It's a learning experience. You chalk it up to that. You, you pick yourself up and you move on to the next thing. Um, my parents still don't think even as a full-fledged adult, I know what I'm doing with my life, but that's cool. I'm having fun. So, you know, love what you do, have the passion for it and always learn. That's excellent. Uh, where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up uh, with what you're working on? So I post fairly frequently fairly frequently to Twitter. Uh, they can follow me uh, at the April Edwards or on LinkedIn. Um, I do most of the posts on Twitter, either from my account. And then we also have the Azure DevOps Lab account, which we can share the link for as well, and the YouTube channel. Excellent. Thank you, April. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. That was April Edwards. April is a senior cloud advocate for Microsoft, specializing in application transformation and DevOps ways of working. Her focus is working on Microsoft Azure to take customers on a journey from legacy technology while enabling them to take full advantage of DevOps. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. <laughs> <laughs>